my God and my all. Amen. Have you ever wished that you could have Jesus in front of you just to ask him a few clarifying questions? Have you ever wished you could sit down, if he just had him face to face, you imagine that you could clear up a few of these challenging things, and then our discipleship journey would be a bit easier, more bearable, and maybe enjoyable. Well, the testimony of the disciples in today's gospel lets us know that having Jesus in front of you doesn't make it any easier. They had Jesus and still found it hard. They broke bread with him. They walked dusty roads with him. They had front row seats to the miracles and healings and teachings of Christ, which they got to hear in their own language, in their own accent, directly from Jesus' lips. And even with all of this advantage over us, they still lament Jesus, this teaching is hard. So if you find today's gospel a bit confusing or challenging, hard to follow, you can know that you are in good company with the 12 disciples. So what do we do with confusing scripture like this? Well, last week, Reverend Rachel quipped that since I was the most recent graduate from seminary, I might have the newest insights on these challenging texts. <laughs> so I thought I would pass on some of these seminarian pro tips for encountering the tough gospel passages. And the first tip is this. Maybe it's a translation issue. <laughs> Jesus said to eat him, but does it literally mean to eat him? What does the Greek mean? So, surely it could mean uh, to consume me, to take in my teachings, to abide in me, as Jesus often says. So I looked up the Greek word, and in fact, Jesus uses a very specific verb to eat, and it's nuanced, and it does not mean to eat like we are going to share a meal together. The word Jesus uses for eat means to gnaw on like a bone. Ooh. <laughs> Last week, Reverend Rachel said Jesus was starting to sound a little bit aggressive. And now, with this translation insight, it sounds downright visceral. So my seminarian tip has backfired. Second seminarian tip, if you have a challenging gospel, you can always preach the Old Testament. <laughs> so, in our Old Testament reading today, we hear the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom, is doing some great pastoral and theological work in front of the assembly. 
The Israelites have been experiencing a tremendous shift in their identity and culture and the way they understand themselves and their relationship to God. For generations, they have followed God in these uh, fantastic visions, the burning bush, the pillar of fire at night and cloud by day. They followed God in the ark, which they processed with them into worship and into war. They had a relationship with a God who was mobile as they themselves were on the move. But now they find themselves in the city of Jerusalem, behind city walls. They find themselves in a place of security and stability. And their God is also in the temple, behind walls, stable and secure. But as a lot of us may have experienced, sometimes being forced to stay put can feel stagnant and isolating and distancing from God. So Solomon, in his prayer, is creating new ways that we can see and understand God in our midst. Solomon prays that God's glory doesn't just fill the temple, but fills the whole earth, and then makes it even grander that God's glory fills the whole earth to the heavens and the highest heavens. What does God's glory look like? Solomon's prayer offers a litany of ways that we can recognize God's glory in our lives. The lectionary reading for today gives us just one as an example, but the list is quite long. The example is this bit about welcoming the foreigner at the end of today's reading. Solomon prays that God's glory will be known through all the lands by the way that the foreigner is welcomed and received and taken care of. That is how we see God's glory in the world. Other examples from his prayer are when two people who have a dispute can be reconciled or when prayers for rain and harvest are answered. In these ways, God's glory is in the world. So today's gospel, Jesus is taking this lesson from Solomon and upping the ante, as Jesus likes to use this rhetorical device. You have heard that it was said, but then I say to you, we could kind of interpret today's gospel in that sense. You have heard that it was said, God's glory is in the world. But I am here to say to you, God's glory is in you. It's quite the audacious claim. And Jesus has been laying down a lot of audacious claims as we've been reading in the last four weeks. First, Jesus makes this claim that he is the image of God. He is God made flesh. Several of Jesus' disciples right there, they say, we know you, Jesus. We know you're the son of Mary and Joseph. You're not God. Goodbye. For those remaining, Jesus ups ante again and says, not only do I come as God in the flesh, but I command you to eat me. And then the I that is God will be in you. 
and you are in me, and I am in you, just like I am with the Father. It's quite a scandalous claim. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. You might remember the concept of holiness that Jesus' audience holds. Just a few weeks ago, Reverend Rachel recounted this story from the Old Testament that as the Israelites were processing the Ark of the Covenant, it started to fall and a soldier reached out his hand to prevent the Ark from falling and instantly that soldier died. You don't touch holiness. You don't touch God. It's separate. It's distant. It's holy. And here Jesus is saying, not only can you touch the flesh, but you can eat it and become it. It's something to gnaw on for sure. How do we understand God's image in us? What images do we have for God that we see in ourselves and in our community? I invite you to pray and discern on what images are speaking to you of how you understand God. Already in my short time at St. Cross, I have seen many of these images of God in this community. We can look at today's psalm. Psalm 84 offers a menu of images for God. We see God as a dwelling place, as a nest for younglings, as climbing from height to height, a God who makes desolate valleys into fertile springs. When I think about how we enflesh God as dwelling place, I think about the hospitality ministries at St. Cross, the meal train, the prayer shawls, the sociable seniors and listening hearts. These are groups the church has that welcome us home to God as dwelling place, a place where we can be fully known and fully loved. God as a nest for the young, our, not only our children's programs, but our adult education programs are designed to strengthen us, to nurture us so that we can grow strong and take flight and fly off into the world. At the height to height, mountaintops in this time were not places of conquest and triumph, but rather lonely places where one could go to be isolated and encounter God. We think of Moses on Mount Sinai and Elijah climbing mountains to encounter God. Many of us have spent quarantine time in such lonely places and have found a divine presence even in our isolation. Lastly, God as an image of someone who makes desolate valleys into fertile springs. I think of ministries like Laundry Love and Family Promise, where community members of St. Cross go to these places where hope is hard to hold and they bring God's light and bear God's image of hope and turn desolate valleys into fertile springs. These are just a few images, a few examples of how God's glory is known in the world through St. Cross. And there's so many more 
As we approach our patron feast day, we'll reflect on St. Cross's history and our future and our present moment. And Solomon's prayer and Jesus' teaching invite us to be in discernment as we approach that day about which images of God resonate with us, where are we being called to live out God's glory in our lives and in our community. It's not an easy answer. It's a very hard teaching. It's something to gnaw on. But at least we can feast together. Amen.